This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Nehemiah chapter number eight, and you say, Nehemiah in between Ezra, Esther, if you've gone to Job, you've gone a little too far. So here we are on Palm Sunday. And many times we have the thought, what is the meaning of Palm Sunday? So we're going to try to make some biblical sense out of this today on the, the significance and the meaning behind it. So just a little bit of history. The, the first city that the Israelites crossed into when they crossed the Jordan River was Jericho. And Jericho to this day means the city of the Palms. And so over three years ago now, I was blessed to be able to be in Israel. And so when we came into the area of Jericho, you saw a a lot of uh, orchards of palm trees everywhere, just everywhere. And so the palm tree can grow up to 100 foot tall. The root system of the palm is just incredibly, incredibly deep. I don't know if you've ever looked or thought about this, But the little notches here, they form the V. The palm tree was significance of victory is what it was. And so when Solomon built the temple, that all over the walls, the doorways, were palm trees. They were put into the walls. And so everywhere that the people would look, it said victory. Victory, victory, victory. Now, when we start here today... Everything we're going to talk about to start with is prophetic, that the prophets would prophesy of the the coming messianic savior or the Messiah. And so I want you to see way back in history how everything backed in all pointed to Jesus and ultimately we'll get to where you'll see Jesus, how he was the savior and ultimately how we're going to spend time in heaven and you'll see the palm branch mentioned over and over here. So we begin in the book of Nehemiah, chapter number eight, verse six. Now, before I start here, this was called the Feast of Tabernacles. This was the most attended feast that the Jews would go into all year. The Feast of Tabernacles took place in October, but they would just come from everywhere to come to this feast. It was a big deal. You know, when I was in Israel, our guide was uh, from the the tribe of Levi. And I asked him stuff like, "Do, do the Jews still participate in these feasts? And he would look at me like, what kind of question is that? Yes, we still celebrate the feast of Tabernacle. Yes, we still celebrate the feast of Passover. So verse six. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Now this was at the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to bless God, the great God. Then all the people answered, amen, amen, just as we begin to sing a minute ago. The word amen literally means this, yes and so be it. Every time you're saying amen, you're saying yes and so be it. So he said, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands while lifting up their hands. You know, some people have the thought when you lift up your hands, why are you doing that? What does that mean? It's right here in the Bible. 
It's, it's one of the greatest forms of worship, of honor, that I, I raise my holy hands to you, Father God, in an act of worship. And so worship, man, it's not just with my mouth, not just with my heart, but it's with my hands too. I'm like my hands. And, and when you think about this, a couple thoughts on the raising of hands. One, what does a little child do when he wants his mother or father to pick him up? It's a universal sign. We all know what that means. But also, I believe at times, when you think about this right here, look at this. Depending on how the angle is, it can be a V. It's a sign of victory because of our Lord. So they raised their hands. And they bowed their heads. And they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7, and it's got all these guys' names in here. We're going to go to the end of verse 7. So I don't butcher all those names. And it says, they helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. They, they stood in their place. Now you may say, why are you highlighting that? Because it's going to come back to play late, late, late this morning on how they stood in their place. In verse 8. So they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and they gave sense and they helped him to understand the reading, to discern, to perceive, to grasp, to regard. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra is the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet. Quite a diet. They were on, they were on the Americans' diet back then. <laughs> Go your way and eat the fat and drink the sweet. And send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Ooh, this is powerful. The joy of the Lord. Now, this is going to all come back to play here in a little bit, but I can tell you this. One of the things the devil goes after, he goes after our joy because he knows it becomes our strength. And when you think about joy, joy's not fabricated. Joy's not something that I obtain or get from the world. Joy only comes from the Lord. There's, there's a joy within me because of salvation. There's a joy within me knowing at the end of my life, I win. There's life after death even with us. So there's a joy that comes. Now, I'm not going to read any more of that passage, but if you kept going in here, starting in verse 13, you would see what it talks about the Feast of the Tabernacle. So when they would come to this feast, there was palm branches everywhere. And every person, regardless of their age, was given a palm branch. And they would take these palm branches and, and there's a Hebrew word called Hosanna, which means salvation or victory. But I begin to see another Jewish word in there, a Hebrew word called Nasha, N-A-S-H-A. The word Nasha means salvation or victory. And then it would use a little word N-A, Na, or now. So literally, Yasha Na would mean salvation or victory now. Now, you got to realize this. In this time that they were at the Feast of the Tabernacles, it was all prophetic. They were speaking prophetically. You know, that last song we sang here this morning, 
I believe that needs to be prophetic with us. That I speak the blessing of God not only over my life, but my children. Their children. And their children. And their children. And it just keeps going on. And I love the thought that it said that his presence goes before me and behind me and all around me and within me. What would, what would take place if we would begin to speak that over our children? Oh, Lord, your presence go with them. All around them, all beside them, all with them, everywhere around them. And, and the reason I say that is because when the Jews would come to the Feast of the Tabernacle, they would take this palm branch and they would face every direction. They would face the south and they would do it three times. Yashinah, Yashinah, Yashinah. And then they would face the east three times. They would face the north. They would face the, the west three times. Save now, oh God, save now. Save now, Lord, save now. Now remember, this was a prophetic declaration. They were believing God. And so, again, they had those. And man, it was a time of, it was loud. It was very loud. And so all through the city, you would begin to hear this. And the Levitical priests would say it all day long. And the people would say it all day long. And this feast lasted seven days. Now go with me to Psalm 118. Psalm chapter 118. He said, Pastor, I hope you're going somewhere with this. I am. I promise you. Psalm 118. And when you get there, we'll go to verse number 22. And so, if you were here last week, we had all these prayer cards. And many of you assigned prayer cards. You put family people's names on there. They're, they're back there in the very back in these bowls. And last week, when people brought them up there, just, just right here in the service, I said Psalms 118. Save now, Father God. We pray, save now. Save now. Save now. So as people are bringing those up here last Sunday, man, I begin to get that thought, save now, God, save now. So on Monday morning, I had to get to the office. I had to get in here, and I had to get back to Psalm 118. And so something on Sunday morning that I said, it was birthed on Monday morning in my study. This is where it took us, Psalms 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected it was a messianic prophecy that was prophesying right here about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Matthew 21, where it says the stone which the builders rejected. Really what it's talking about here was the resurrection and the death, or the re rejection and the death of the Lord Jesus has become the chief cornerstone, has become the head of the corner would hold up the house of God. He has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, verse 22 and verse 23, these are quoted five different times in the New Testament as applied to be, uh, the Lord Jesus being rejected by the Jewish leadership. But this becomes marvelous 
when you see how God turns it all around for good. Every bit of it was turned around for good. Now verse 24, verse 25, and verse 26. This was a song that the Jews would sing on these feasts. And it starts in verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now you see right here the word rejoice. If we go back to the prophecy in Nehemiah, he said the joy of the Lord is our strength. The word rejoice is the strongest word for joy in the Hebrew language. It actually is the word G-I-L, which I'm just going to say is the word gil. I may butcher that too. I'm not positive. But when they would say, this is the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. This word right here, it meant to spin around. It meant to dance. It was an outward demonstration of joy. It was joy on steroids. And I mean, they were not bashful about it. And so even with my, my translator three years ago, that he would tell me, he said, there's nobody in the world that knows how to party like the Jews. We love to celebrate. We love to dance before the Lord. And, and so this is what was happening. They would get so excited about this time of year and they would go around the city day by day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. And so I begin to picture this in my mind. They had to be passionate and I thought, was their passion for worship in their God at this time in their life? Was it similar to the passion that we have when we watch some of our favorite sporting events? Whether it's basketball, baseball, football, golf, whatever it is. And if you're like me, man, when my favorite team scores a touchdown, I don't sit there and think, man, that was great. That was outstanding. I, I, I have this feeling many of you are very similar to me. I mean, when I'm watching a game and someone scores, I am all over the place. It is a time of shouting, dancing. It is a time of high five, low fives, medium fives. It, it, it is a passion. And if you're watching the World Series and they have a walk-off home run in the ninth inning, you don't say, boy, that was sure good. But yet when I watch this or get this in my mind, when, when these people were at the feast and they would begin to be ecstatic throughout the city, they would begin to shout. And, and we pick up here back in verse number 25. Save now, I pray, O Lord. Save now, I pray, O Lord. And when you see that, save now, I pray, O Lord, it is the Hebrew word, Hosanna, which translates into the next Hebrew word, Yashanah. Save now, O God, save now. 
The, the Passion Translation says it this way. Oh God, please come and save us again. And then they said, oh Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Bring us your breakthrough. So the literal translation of this is victory now, oh now, Jehovah. Now understand when they would say this, this was prophetic in nature. Jesus hasn't come to the earth yet. It goes on to say in verse number 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of your Lord. From within the temple we cry out, we bless you. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. So all these feasts, this is what they would begin to do year by year by year. But their expectation was what? Save now. And they would say, prosper now. Their expectation was, Father God, prosper us next year on our crops and our livestock. Go with me to the book of Zechariah, chapter number nine. Zechariah nine, and you say, okay, where's Zechariah at? Well, if you've gone to Malachi, you've gone a little too far. The last book of the Old Testament, and Zechariah is the one right before that, Zechariah chapter 9. The subtitle in my, my, my Bible before Zechariah 9, verse 9, is The Coming King. The Coming King. Now you got to remember, Jesus hadn't been on the earth yet. So all this is messianic prophecies, the coming of the king. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice. Have you picked something up? In Nehemiah, in Psalms 118, and now again, over and over. Joy. Rejoice. Rejoice. I, I believe the Lord wants us to live that way as believers we ought to be people that are full of rejoice. So he said, rejoice greatly, not a little bit. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. And so when you see these things, they were never quiet. They would echo through the streets over and over. Rejoice and shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Behold, your king is coming to you. A prophecy. He is just. The word just there means he is righteous. He is victorious. And having salvation. Now, when Zechariah prophesied this, you know what everything points to? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Most believe that this prophecy was given somewhere around 500 years before Jesus ever showed up. But look how it ends. Verse 9. He is just in having salvation, lowly, humbly, and he's going to ride on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, the prophecy was this. How's the Messiah going to show up? He's going to come strolling in on a donkey. Most believe verse number nine 
was prophecy concerning the first coming of the Lord Jesus. Verse 10 changes a little bit. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. What this means is I will remove the battle. And the horse or the war horse I will remove or cut off from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. I'm going to destroy the weapons. He, who's the he? The Lord Jesus, he shall speak peace to the nations and his dominion, his jurisdiction, his rule to exercise authority shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, many believe when Zechariah prophesied this, it all points to the second coming of Jesus. Verse 9 is to the first coming of Jesus. Verse 10 is to the second coming of Jesus. Do you know the second coming of Jesus hadn't occurred yet? Thank God, because we're still here. In Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus said this, no one knows the day or the hour that he's coming back. It's not my job to try to figure out the day he's coming back. Don't waste your time on that, okay? 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Why do you say that? Well, there were books written on that. We're still here. It's incredible that the Lord Jesus said, I don't even know. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. Why are you highlighting that? Because the same messianic prophecy that said Jesus is going to come is the same messianic prophecy that says he's going to come again. He's coming back. And all this is going to take place. And Jesus will have rule over the entire earth. Now, Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, it said in verse 9, because of Jesus' obedience, God gave him the name that's above every name. Verse number 10 says, every knee will bow in heaven, earth, and hell. And verse 11 says, every tongue will confess Jesus. Every realm, whether you're on earth that day, whether you're in heaven that day, or you're in hell among the demonic that day, the day is coming where not only every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Now the key is you want to do that willingly. Because there's going to come a day when everybody's going to do that. But if you didn't do that willingly, that's not a good day. That's a bad day. Turn with me back to the New Testament, to the book of John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12, and some of you are saying, how's this tie into Palm Sunday? Well, that's where we're going. Just giving you a little Hebrew education today. John, chapter 12, verse number one. Then six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany. The month of Passover is in April. That's when Passover takes place. And it's interesting right here that it says six days before the Passover. 
I want you to think about this. This is the introduction to the week we're going into called the Holy Week. Six days before Passover. So that would be Sunday. Passover starts Friday night at sunset, but really, I'm mean, not Passover, Sabbath starts Friday night at Passover. It ends Sunday at Sabbath, at sunset. So he's given us a day here. This again, this, this is gonna highlight the Holy Week. Verse 12. The next day, which would be Monday, a great multitude, a great multitude. Now this is another little phrase here I want you to hold on to because it's gonna come into play here in a little bit. A great multitude that had come to the feast, the feast of Passover. They would never forget the feast of Passover, what took place when the, 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 the death angel came upon them. And remember, if you go back to that, the only way you were saved was how? Your house had to be marked by the blood of the lamb. So again, everything that's going on here, it all points to Jesus. So they all come to the feast of Passover on Monday now. And when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, that Jesus was on his way, they took branches of palm trees. And they went out to meet him. Now this was a great day for me when I was in Israel. that we walk the place where Jesus came, where he began to stroll down on that Palm Sunday. And I remember it was very steep, very steep. And when you got down to the bottom, that's where the, the, uh, the Mount of Olives were. A little farther was the Kidron Valley. And so you begin to see biblically how it all was going on. And so they lay out these palm branches here. And it says, and they cried out. They cried out. They weren't quiet again. Many translations says, or the Amplified says, they kept shouting and they kept shouting and they kept shouting. And what did they keep shouting? Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now. Save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And so they shouted out, victory, 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 victory. And they begin to publicly acknowledge that Jesus was the fulfillment of all their prophecies. And so they're seeing this firsthand. Verse 14. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, said on it, it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's coat. The very prophecies that Zechariah gave in Zechariah 9.9, 500 years ago. But when they were screaming out, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. Every bit of that goes back to Psalm 118, verse 24, 25, 26, what we just read. So the Bible begins to connect the dots. Ever been of it. So when Jesus is coming down and they have their palm branches, you know what they're literally saying? Victory's here. This is victory. Victory now. 
that victory or Hosanna day is no longer about a day. It's actually the fulfillment of the Lord Jesus coming in person. And that was their victory, 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 victory. And all through the city, this is what you would hear. Victory, victory now. Can you imagine once had been taught the Bible? You know, my mom would tell me about that this day is gonna come. That the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. And my grandparents would tell me that. And they would tell me that their parents would tell them that. Can you imagine for four or 500 years of knowing this prophecy and all of a sudden, there he is. There he is. Now, to help you with the rest of that story, you're going to have to come back Friday night, okay? And if you really want to catch the rest, you've got to come back next Sunday, okay? Got to come back. Because as we're right here on Monday, you begin to see what Jesus' day looked like. But if you'll come back on Friday, we'll highlight the entire week of what the last week of the Lord Jesus' life looked on here on earth. But Palm Sunday, all the shouts are saying, here he is, here he is. Now that was the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, but to see the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.10, real quickly turn with me to the book of Revelations chapter 7. Revelations chapter 7. And you know what? I may be jumping the gun just a little bit. But that's okay. You got to see this, okay? Revelation 7. Verse number 9. After these things, many believe the things is the great tribulation. I looked and behold... A great multitude. <laughs> Here it is again. A great multitude. Not a little multitude, but a great multitude which no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and, and tongues. Now, this right here is the messianic prophecy of the second coming. And so when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a lot of folk in heaven. A lot of folk in heaven. Now, he said a great multitude. You got to catch that. He didn't say everybody's going to be there. That's not what he said. But there's going to be a great multitude of every nation, of every tribe, and of every tongue. So you know what that means? There's gonna be a lot of black folk, brown folk, white folk, swirl folk, a lot of folk in heaven. Ooh, thank God what Jesus did. And there's only one, that, one way that I'm included in the great multitude. Only one way is that Jesus becomes Lord of my life. That I publicly confess him and I live for him all the days of my life. Now, when you see here in verse nine, there's this vast crowd. 
And, and I want to point out three things, what they're doing, what they're wearing, and what's in their hand, okay? So it says here, all these folks will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb. To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Before Father God and the Lamb, which is the Lord Jesus. And what did it say we're going to do? We're going to be standing. Not sitting. We're going to be standing. That's given me a glimpse of heaven. And so when I read all this, if this is what's going to be going on in heaven, we probably ought to start practicing it right now. So they're going to be standing before the throne. Clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice. Now what are we doing? We're standing before the throne and we're crying out with a loud voice. Not a soft voice. And I believe when we come in here, we ought to be loud, loud. But pastor, I can't sing. Well, welcome to the NFL. I can't either. But I like to be loud. They cried out with a loud voice. And they said, salvation belongs to our God. Save now. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Now it goes back, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be standing before the throne. We're going to be shouting day and night. And if you don't like, like, if you don't like doing that right now, you're probably not going to like heaven. But notice what they're wearing. They're clothed with white robes. Maybe you didn't know this. Heaven has a dress code. And the only way you get in is you got to have a white robe. And the white robe signifies right here that all our sin and our guilt has been removed. And the only way I, I get a white robe, Isaiah 61.10 says, we're clothed with the robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Why? That we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. So when I give my heart to Jesus, you get a white robe put on you. Not by how smart you are. Not by all the good deeds you did while here on the earth. I'm righteous because of Jesus. The only way I'm justified, I am the righteousness of God through Christ. I receive Jesus and God says, you're righteous in my eyes. The word righteous has the meaning you're in right standing with God. And again, I'm not in right standing with God because I go to church. I'm not in right standing with God because I tithe. I'm in right standing with God because of what Jesus did. 
And so they're standing there with their white robes and what did he say was in their hands? Even in heaven. You know what I think God's telling us? Man, I'm, I'm a man or a woman of victory. I live in victory. But when I get to this place in heaven, it's just not a victory, it's eternal victory. But you know I can live in victory right now? How do you know that? Can you be saved right now? Absolutely. So if I'm saved right now, I can live in victory right now. And I believe this is what he's trying to tell us here. And so when he goes on to say, they're crying out to God with a loud voice. Loud voice. Saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. You know, every day right now can be Yashanah day. Every day right now can be Hosanna day. Because Jesus has already come and he's already paid the price and he loves every one of us and so when you get to Palm Sunday what this is is this is the introduction of the Holy Week save now oh God I say save now but you know what I like to think about this thank you Lord Jesus for saving already thank you I'm saved why don't you stand on your feet here with him? I'm saved. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.